0: Welcome to episode 4, in which the Desert Prophet discussed discuss religious art. Hi all today I'm here with Camilla Stark, the blesser of the Bonneville Basin, founding member of Utah's coolest weird Mormon art collective, the Archive, and Desert Prophet herself. Camilla, how are you this morning?
1: I'm so good. That's the best introduction I've ever gotten in my life.
0: <laughs> what well, I feel like that's probably not true. You've had like literal gallery shows and your own podcast, by the way. Shout out Archive archive Cost on all your favorite streaming platforms. Go check it out. Link in the show notes.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I could give you a, a good introduction. I'm really a fan, by the way, of your, your um, Refill Lake Bonneville campaign. Um, i feel like it has just such an incredible like ambitious energy about it it was like out of nowhere like let's just refill this prehistoric lake
1: Huh? had you heard of lake bonneville before did you look it up when i was posting it literally
0: the first time i had ever heard. i mean i've heard of the uh what is the official name like the great american basin the western
1: interior seaway
0: western interior seaway hmm i haven't heard it No, I haven't heard that story. Oh, that's
1: the that's the dinosaur-era ocean that covered most of the western United States. Right, because
0: they, they found, like, uh, I know they have a bunch of, um, like, shells and, like, marine animals that have been, like, excavated uh, sort of in that area. Um, uh-huh. I think I've heard of a period maybe after that when it was still a lake, like, as the as the, as the Great Basin itself, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I'm assuming was just continuing to, like, dry up and dry up and dry up as the climate changed.
1: Yeah, there was like a big dam that broke. Um, I really should know this. Um, But yeah, for people who don't know, who are listening, Lake Bonneville was this big lake that was here in like Ice Age times, here in in Utah, in the Great Basin, um, that uh, basically everywhere that people live right now in Utah would be underwater in Lake Bonneville. But there's a big dam that broke. Um, and then it all started flooding out, um, you know, and into the ocean. Um, and now the only thing we really have left is the Great Salt Lake and Utah Lake and a lake called Severe Lake that only appears at certain times of the year. And the rest of the time is just like a salt flat. Um, so those are the remnants of of the greatest prehistoric lake, in my opinion. Um, And I think we need to refill Lake Bonneville and bring it back to its former glory. Um, I think that it would be good for the environment, and it would also be very funny. So, um, in case you can't tell, that is a joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably the best reason. It's just like, it would be a great loft to just refill this entire area.
1: Yeah, I'm actually working on a second sticker that is like the style of old u.s national park posters Mm -hmm. um kind of like a little travel poster to encourage people to visit historic lake bonneville um so watch out for that soon
0: that'll be great i i there's something about like the aesthetic that you guys i would say you guys but i mean like you in particular but you know it does bleed over into some of the other archaic work right um i don't know i i don't know how i would describe it or like what words i would choose to sort of give you an idea if you haven't seen it um but I love it like it's got such a great I don't know like it evokes certain things in me as well, and I don't even know what it is because like I don't know how much cultural like cross contamination <laughs> there possibly could be, but like i'm I'm picking up something from like your style of work that I find really i don't know intriguing fascinating beautiful
1: well thanks, yeah um yeah, so a, a lot of my work, it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of the imagery is pulled from, like, occult stuff and, like, traditional tattoos and um, that sort of thing. And, like, also, like, early Mormon iconography, which, like, is less and less of a thing these days. But, you know, in early Mormon architecture, there's a lot of, like, Freemason-inspired stuff. Um like, all-seeing eyes, like, that sort of thing. You know, definitely more occult vibes. Um, and usually, like, the meaning of my work is inspired by my religious experience, um, which, you know, is also a very, like... It's tied into a very universal human experience, like, things we learn about life as we grow up, like, mm-hmm. the balance between light and dark, and um, this idea of, like, life and death and rebirth um, that, like... I I personally, you know, learned from my religious practice um and how that like plays out in my life, but you know, I feel like anyone who's studying nature or paying attention, you know, taps into these cycles um of course. It's like very human archetype things. Um so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of my work even though it's like ultimate inspirations for me are, are from an experience like that you haven't had in a religious tradition. You haven't had, like, I guess, I don't think it feels that surprising that, you know, it could still resonate. Um,
0: right. For sure. And
1: like the, the style that, you know, the the thing we do with a lot of the like promotional materials for the archive and stuff, um, is we just like pull from old engravings, um, just from, you know, hundreds of years, of old Western books and artwork, you know, not necessarily Western as in like United States, but just like the Western world, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with a lot of medieval things or like 19th century engravings. And then we just kind of collage them together. Um, And that's really fun because, um, I mean, artwork is usually and and maybe not just usually but i think creative creative work and artwork is pretty much always pulling different elements from different experiences you've had different artwork that you've seen writing you know just like you you just as an artist as a creative person you pull things from all sorts of sources and you kind of like collage those ideas and imagery together into your own work um and so you know when we're when we're creating promo materials and stuff from the archive we're pulling different you know images and styles from just different eras um and and just really combining them together you know in the simplest like collage sort of way um the my co-founder um he goes by the name Lazarus um he's an anonymous artist who d- draws a lot more heavily from particularly mormon imagery um but Like, he's very, very, very good at matching styles of, you know, like, he does a lot of parody art, and so he, like, is very good at matching styles from different eras and different designers and making them look, like, really good and convincing. And, and like, just from hanging out with him and working with him, I think some of that, you know, some of that idea of kind of collaging and drawing back to to older designs and older themes um, really, you know... Kind of transferred over to my work, but um, I think a big difference is he mostly draws from like 20th century vibes, and I draw from like 19th century uh, um, and beyond,
0: right. <laughs> right? I feel like there's that's such a difficult thing with uh collage work, and I really respect people who do it. Is to when you're tapping into a source work, right? Like that source work itself is not coming along with a lot of its own. I don't want to say baggage in a negative sense, right? But like it's connotations, it's interpretations, like perhaps people know what that work entails. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps accidentally using a conflicting set of things and, and being able to like seamlessly integrate it and use it as one and blend those, like you said, styles and literally design errors of the way people were creating stuff. And
1: mm-hmm. I'm
0: not even sure how to properly approach that like space, but the people who can, I think, are just can do some excellent stuff.
1: Right. I agree. I mean, I'm not really a huge collage artist like um but I think that you know pulling in those associations and the those 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 you know conflicting feelings or or histories of the of the artwork is actually I think part of what makes collage work actually super engaging because it can be very engaging visually but in order to take it to the next level I think you really need to have some kind of like Dialogue between the different elements of your piece, um, and again, I think it's something that Laz does really well. Um, I I'm kind of just a hack, and I just am like, mm, let's find a good, you know, all-seeing eye, and you know, combine it together with other stuff that I like how it looks. I'm not necessarily looking into the sources mm. behind and things. That can just be like this um, infinite rabbit
0: hole, right? Where you're like just digging to see like where was this used and what it is, and you know, like just eat yeah. all of your time.
1: So my husband actually um, is doing that right now. He is digging through a bunch of original manuscripts, you know, online, not in person, um, unfortunately. But he's digging through just like all sorts of manuscripts, um, trying to just find good imagery. Um, Cause again, I'm a hack and I just uh, go online and I type in like 19th century eye engraving and just like use what I find on Google. But, yeah, my husband right now is doing, a, is doing a big project where he's making a text-based adventure game. Text-based... Hold on. Hold on. I have to get the, the things in the right order so <laughs> the it makes... like,
0: byline for in
1: it It's a cosmic horror, Mormon folk magic, text-based adventure game. There we go.
0: Yeah, that's solid.
1: Yeah. And so he's really diving deep into, like, the old-timey engravings and... Um, like actually getting stuff from the sources, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, I know he's always like showing me, look at this thing I found. Look at that. It's really cool. Um, but like I said, I'm just a hack.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's something really special about hacking too, right? Like, um, you know, I I love it when you can just keep on like digging through a thing, but at the same time, you you need to sort of balance that with people who are like a large part of your audience, maybe are going to be aware of like one or two right. elements right and you know i'm always of the mindset of like sure you know each individual audience member might be aware of one or two but like on the whole they're going to need to know one of them but i think that mm-hmm. that probably stops me from creating a lot where i'm like i'm just too caught up in in the back side of things and um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i think sometimes like yeah. a hack mindset can just actually get you going and that's
1: yeah really
0: cool <laughs> you can just get stuff out and, and
1: Right. I really think there's kind of pros and cons to both because like um, so I had never read Lord of the Rings before, but I'm reading it right now Um, because my husband's a big fan and I like wanted to, you know, check it out. Um, And I really like it. But one thing that I find really interesting about it is like the fact that Tolkien really had this like whole world so built out underneath the story that like there's probably tons and tons of things he came up with that never even show up but it kind of like it still creates the richness of the story and a more like sense of believability instead of just a facade um it like you can tell there's depth there and so I think that projects that really have the really built out you know um research and and kind of internal workings and understanding of it I think those projects really like the depth comes through um even if even if the viewer or the player or the reader or whatever doesn't see every single element. I think it really does come through. But then on the other hand, like, like you said, just kind of pulling from a more surface level, it certainly does get you to, you know, finish work faster. Um, And like, I just personally don't have the attention span um, to dive too deep into things always Um, I wish I did, but I just don't. Um, but one thing I am hoping to actually like do better research on, um, is so right now I'm working on a big project. I'm working on a graphic novel that I can talk about more in a second. But when I'm done with that, I'm going to do a tarot deck called the Tarot of the Great Basin.
0: Ooh, that sounds good.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. But, you know, in preparation for that, you know, I've got all these books on tarot, um and i've got all these books on the great basin and like the way it was formed and the plants and animals that live there and you know also just like other people's um like writings about the great basin and their experiences there um and i i want to like go out into the desert for a week and just like read all these books and do sketches and I don't know if I'll be able to do that, but I think it'd be really cool. So, like, that project I intend to kind of have more, like, dive more deeply into the actual research instead of just pulling from imagery. Um, I want it to have that depth. Yeah. Um, but that's probably at least a year out, so we'll see.
0: I, I think that, like, that sounds really... That sounds like something I'm just, like, intensely interested in, like a confluence of 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 interests. But...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The desert itself. I, I think you've probably seen me like just uh, yearnfully posting about the desert, but I have like yeah. <laughs> very little access to something that would be even vaguely considered a desert. Um, and I know well,
1: you're from South Africa, right? Yes. What's are there any deserts there? Like, I'm not super familiar with the climate.
0: Yeah. Um. So, not I say not far north like sort of exiting my province, entering the next, you start entering the Karoo, which is like mm-hmm. a semi-desert. And then by the time you push like really to the north of that, you start entering the Kalahari,
1: mm-hmm. which um
0: mm-hmm. our sort of like our, our, our neighboring country, kind of sister country, since it used to sort of be like a province of ours, uh, Namibia, is um like that is mostly, I mean, uh, filled with the Namib Desert, which is where it gets its name from. So, it's, like, split between mm. the Namib and the Kalahari. Um, uh-huh. So, there's desert there, but that is, you know, like, that's a decent drive away. And it was yeah. not a place that, like, I'd been there once, I think, on a school trip. We went down, um, like, rafting down the Orange River, which forms the border between us and Namibia. And uh-huh. so, I got experienced experience that a bit. But... Um, you know there are definitely dry areas like it is a dry country it can get dry but um it, like some of our coastlines are pretty brutal in that sense mm-hmm. but quick access to the desert and the way i think that you can get to it, is something that mm-hmm. i've uh i've not had but it's always just been like this pull right like mm. i already have this pull to like desolate open places like stepland yeah. right um, yeah and the desert itself like i I have no idea what it is about it but it is like so enthralling so i don't know it captures you have this line actually i uh i'm not sure i'm gonna misquote it so forgive me for but it's something like barren lands uncover the truth and you used Mm -hmm. it in one of your artworks um i think i have an interpretation of that but like what's your interpretation of that
1: Baron lands. Uncover the truth. Let me think. Let me first find the exact quote because I know exactly what you're talking about, um, but I don't. I I don't remember it either. Yeah. Um, okay. Hold on, just one second. I'm gonna go on my. Oh no! I took down my website. I don't know how I'm gonna find that. Right. Um, okay, but basically it's just like. Okay, so I think maybe it'd be helpful if I kind of like told you about how I got into the desert in the first place. That a good song, um, I think. Yeah. So I grew up in Colorado, which is, um, you know, quite mountainous. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was growing up, I was just, like, so into the mountains. I just loved them. Um, I loved going on trips to the mountains and, and going up in the mountains and just, like, being, like, around all the trees and the 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 stormy weather and like i just absolutely loved it um and i you know i kind of loved the the variation and the the three-dimensionality of it um and then i moved to utah which is also quite mountainous um it's kind of um it's kind of ironic though like because okay so in colorado the eastern half is all like prairie and then the mountains like start in the middle, and that's right where I lived, was um, like right where the mountains started. Um, so the western half of the state is mountainous, the eastern half is prairie, and I lived right in the middle. And I don't know, I've always just been kind of drawn to the idea, like to the direction of west, if that makes... I don't know if that makes sense at all, but like, I just have. And so the west was where the mountains were, and I didn't even care about the prairie. like I never thought about it. Um, it was just mountains, mountains, mountains. Um, then I moved to Utah, and it's just, like, on the other side of the mountains. And so it was the same situation where, like, the eastern half of the state is pretty mountainous, and then the western half of the state is um, steppe and desert. Um, and I lived, you know, I, I still live, like, right in the middle. And my first few years here, I was, like, all about the mountains. Um, you know, basically same thing, except for they were to the east this time, which was very confusing to my brain as I try to figure out, like, directions. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't um, really pay attention to the desert, care much for the desert at all, um, until taking a road trip to California, um, where we drove through some of the most, like, gorgeous territory. I mean, I had driven through, like, the Great Basin, the Sagebrush Desert before, but it just really struck me on this one road trip Um, because like the colors were so subtle. Um, you know, I had before always thought of, of the Great Basin as just being kind of brown, which is a pretty common thing. People, you know, sort of think about it, especially if you're used to, you know, things being more green. Um, but you know, on that trip, I noticed that the sagebrush is this like beautiful kind of pale green color. Um, the rocks are like purple, um you know when the sun sets the sky is full of colors um the mountains are like dark blue on the horizon um and it just kind of like built from there um over the years basically and i just started to get more and more focused on the desert and you know like different camping trips i had out there that were just like really formative you know like going just in the middle of nowhere um and just experiencing nature um, you know, not, like, in a really structured way with, in, like, a national park or anything, just, like, out on public lands, um, exploring old mines. Actually, I I don't go into old mines. I have a policy. But the people I was with <laughs> explored old mines. <laughs> um, and, like, I don't know, just, it just, it felt like a brutal land, but also, it, it not brutal maybe but i don't know it it feels like it holds secrets it's a subtle place it's easy to overlook and it really rewards deep engagement with it and like there are like just magical things about about the great basin and um you know the how big the sky feels and um the way you can just like look out across it and just see, like some people call it the sagebrush ocean. Um, And like, that's just really, I don't know how it feels when you're there. Um, And so I like had these experiences over the years. um, And now that's like my place basically. Um, I don't, I mean, yeah, I still like the mountains. I still like going there, but it's not like what draws me and what pulls me. Um, and another amazing thing about the desert in Utah is that we have salt flats um, because Lake Bonneville, you know, used to all be here. Um, and it, like, I am not a geologist. I really should know this because I'm a fan of Lake Bonneville. But what I think happened is, um, you know, it just, like, leached sand, or excuse me, leached salt out of just the the sand and the rock from when it used to be an ocean um, and then when the lake dried up, it just left the salt deposits um, there. And that's why the great salt lake is so salty is because like it has no outlet. And so all the salt just like goes into the great salt lake, but there's all these like miles and miles of just like barren, white flat land, just like ringed with mountains on the horizon. And when you go there, it's just like, there's nothing. There's you, there's the sky, there's the mountains in the distance and there's the salt and just the experience of being there just like makes you feel like you can't hide. And there's nothing, there's nothing to hide because it's all laid out and like, you're just there. And I'm really not, you know, explaining this super well. It's just something you have to have to experience. But like, honestly, visiting the salt flats is like transcendental. Um, And, I mean, it's cool, but, like, if you go there kind of with, the like, a spiritual mindset, like, it can be life-changing, just, like, interacting with the land in that way. Um, And so that's kind of where that, that's kind of, like, a long-about way of saying it, you know, that's where that sentiment comes from, is, like, when you're there, it's just, like, all laid out bare, and there's nothing to hide behind, there's nothing, like... Uh, this this ties into a few other a few other themes for me um, that I know you wanted to talk about. Um specifically, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> um and I know that may seem like kind of a crazy uh transition I just made for uh anyone who doesn't know me and know about this. Um, but I have a so obsessive compulsive disorder, it's not just like organizing things. Um like in you know size things order out or like straight one. or
0: whatever yeah, people no, you think know it would you're a fellow
1: yeah. OCD haver I also like have yay um but yeah for for the listeners who who aren't familiar it's not it's not just like I need to line everything up straight. It's basically your brain telling you that the things you care the most about in the entire world are going to like be a disaster, die, fail. Um and so for me, because religion is very important to me, that's one of the things my OCD attacks. Um, and um, I spent several years like being an extreme religious perfectionist. Um, and luckily I'm like much improved. You know, it still kicks my butt every now and then, but um but like I still have this kind of like thing deep inside me where, like, I fear the judgment of God, both in a horrible mental illness way and in, like, a cool artistic way, because I honestly think, like, heavenly vengeance is a very interesting theme to explore in art, which doesn't help my OCD, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, But it's just this feeling of, like, when you're there in the desert, like, you can't hide from God, you can't hide from yourself, and, like, everything that you are is, like, laid bare. And I... I honestly don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as an opportunity to really, like, look at yourself and say to yourself, like, who am I and who do I want to be? Um, So that's a really roundabout way of of saying it, but that's what it means to me. Like, that's why the desert is so compelling. Um, Yeah. I feel like,
0: you know, you said um, those who enter the desert and those who like approach it and spend time with it with the spiritual mindset um i think probably will understand a little bit of what you're talking about but it does feel like the desert as a place tends to almost encourage or foster that mindset as you are entering more than just other places right like i mean deserts are kind of notorious for being, like, the birthplace of a bunch of religions as well, right? Like, it does seem that... And and I don't know which way we're approaching this, right? Like, I don't know if people who are in this mindset find themselves wandering and enter the deserts, or people are entering the desert and then finding themselves in this mindset, right? Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's the place, or maybe it's a bit of both. Like, maybe it's this two-way relationship
1: um yeah so there's um there's actually a really interesting quote by um this guy named thomas merton who's a monk of some sort i believe um and the the quote is i'm looking it up um let's see The short version of it that I've seen like people like put in artwork before is God is the desert. The desert is the country of madness. Um, You know, and he he kind of goes on to say um, like to, to talk about the same thing that you were just saying, you know, about like, why have all these religions come from the desert? Is it that the desert creates them or that people who are prone to making religions, you know? go out into the desert, and I'm sure it's a bit of both. Self-selection. You have to be someone... What's that? Like self-selection, right? Yeah! You have to be someone who appreciates the the difficult, the unappreciated, the the places that you might want to avoid, you know, the topics you might want to avoid. I feel like that's the type of person who would, you know, be able to lead a religion or at least like maybe not lead a religion, but like create a theology Mm. or, you know, um, because like, I think religion is really about like just grappling with being alive. um, And the, the imperfections of this mortal world. Um, And I think different religions, I'm no expert in like world religions or anything, but I, think that different religions kind of um dive into that differently from different angles like as far as i understand buddhism you know one of their great truths is that like life is suffering and their solution to that is like accept it you know like meditate accept be mindful um whereas christianity is more like like it's more about like restitution and like things are bad now but they'll be good later um and you know like your struggles now have meaning um and like e- and they'll they'll be you know healed and fixed um and i think that both of those approaches have validity to them um but like also you know I think Christians could probably take a leaf from, from Buddhism and just, you don't have to fix everything, you know? Mm-hmm. You can just accept it sometimes.
0: Right. I think that's, I mean, that's a pretty difficult... A problem I don't think people have really found a way to solve is, like, that confluence of religious ideas or maybe, like, how another sect or... Uh, religion itself has like handled a particular issue like everyone's grappling with this and you you know when you talk about like syncretism and these sort of movements or like usually they don't really make it past like sub-religion where you are blending two or more philosophies together it feels like like i know the people who talk about syncretism that generally goes like one of two ways like people who are really espousing its virtues and then the people who uh, are sort of disparaging the idea Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right like as if as if people in their culture and in their tradition should only then find a way to solve their issue like from that viewpoint and um, I feel like this is actually this is probably more interesting of a problem than it usually gets talked about cuz you know you can also just pass that like v- that virtue of saying like oh well just be more respectful go learn a little bit and then apply <laughs> right but that doesn't that doesn't mean anything right like that's really easy to say but how do mm-hmm. we bring these like maybe conflicting ideas like for example you're mentioning a buddhist philosophy is like to accept suffering and Mm -hmm. um but that requires like a whole bunch of setup right a whole bunch of base Mm -hmm. work and a whole bunch of um really fundamental understanding of like what do these events good bad uh Mm -hmm. neutral like what do they mean where do they come from how -hmm. do they pass through us and you know if you're fundamentally looking at those two through like very different lenses then how do you take that idea of like acceptance and graft it into the like the the vision or the the shared narrative that like your culture or your tradition is working from because you can use some of the same words but often those words are Mm pointing to like very different ideas Mm -hmm. like very different visualizations of how they are manifesting in that like those particular narratives right um Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe art is a, is a particularly strong way of like approaching that because you really can give form to that that vision, right? Like you can actually visualize it through through mm-hmm. artwork, and perhaps find a way that like taps into what the original meaning is supposed to entail, and then present it in a way that you know your people or your culture will be able to understand because you know where they're working from, you know what 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 they're working with. And try to create that, like, stem or stream to to carry that meaning through.
1: No, I love that. That is, like, that's super insightful. Um, First of all, you're making me want to study Buddhism more because, like, I just heard the whole, like, one of the truths of Buddhism, life is suffering, you know. But I hadn't thought about, like, what do you need to know underneath that in order to really bring that to four in your life. Don't
0: worry. My um, my understanding of it is only extends as far as how much did I research for when I wrote <laughs> this short story called "Le Exposition de Existence de Violence," like in French for an exhibition of a violent existence, which uh-huh. is about a, a literal whale in space who is experiencing some sort of abuse, and there's oh. Buddhist philosophy like injected in there, so. Interesting. You know. yeah. I'm not an expert on this topic
1: either. We're both just people who think things are interesting, is yes. the fact of the matter. Um okay. Well, you know, I love what you said about like being able to use art to pull ideas together and present them in a way that people can understand. Um it makes me think of one of my favorite people who is a mormon artist or excuse me mormon poet and writer named james goldberg he's really interesting because um he's like sikh and jewish you know ancestry and you know with some parts of um you know his family background um but also like a mormon slash member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um and he talks a lot about like i and he he writes he writes you know poetry and and writing, um, you know, from his Mormon perspective, but also, like, generally for a Mormon audience. Um, You know, there's definitely a few Mormon writers, poets, whatever, who um, have written for a more general audience, but James like, specifically chooses to, like, write to Mormons and for Mormons, and like, he knows he's not gonna make any money doing this, like, this, you know, he has a day job, right? Um, But, like, the way that someone from your own tradition writing for you can like resonate with you mm-hmm. um it really like that's what keeps him doing it that's what is so rewarding to him um and he you know he pulls things in from from these other you know traditions that he's a part of um and and presents them in like our language as mormons you know um using analogies that are familiar to us or wording that is familiar to us or or things that push us and he knows what those things are. And I think that's what, you know, makes his work so powerful. Um, so yeah, I really, I really love that. Like I think that considering art as a tool for disseminating belief or truth or whatever, let's just call it belief. Um, I think that's been a huge role of art for you know a good chunk of human history. Um you know, the the great artistic traditions of um, especially like the Middle Ages was like all religious art um, and, you know, spoken through a language of symbols, which is how I do my art. Like, I'm not interested in doing representational art. I'm not interested in doing realism. Like, I just draw stuff that means something. Yeah. It's not about the way it looks. I mean, it is, but it's not about the way it looks. It's about what the symbol means, and so like in that way, like it, it's like shorthand almost to like espouse knowledge or learning or belief, and I think that that is, you know, a big part of art history um, from different religious traditions. Um, like different how theory. do you use art to express your beliefs about life and about the universe in a language that your people can understand?
0: I think there's two really interesting uh points on this the first being um how like this idea of like what art is sort of for something i've been grappling with like you know i heard i guess sometime in high school like i think it was specifically about the greeks at the time but i I don't think Mm -hmm. it really matters um about like the way they would be packaging a certain Idea or like a value, you know, someone who was more learned or who had experienced this or was engaged in like the religious tradition would be making that art as a way to package some sort of teaching, right? Like you said, a belief to mm-hmm. your general population, to your shepherds and your craftsmen and your sailors, like who didn't have time out of their very mm-hmm. busy lives Um, to go and find and seek these meanings themselves on their free time. And, but in the town, in passing a statue, passing, whatever, like getting in a theater play at at some point, which Mm -hmm. I guess was a lot more common back then, but um, you know, you get to be able to like internalize those lessons through Mm -hmm. what art meant. And I think that's the way I thought about it for quite a while. Although, you know, I I also sort of empathize with that camp of people who, like, just make art for, like, literally whatever, like, you know, don't attribute too much, but I think that's, like, a balance. Like, I do, I think I I tend to err on the side of, like, I'm putting something in here, and I'm also doing it through a lot of symbology as well, and Mm -hmm. that's something that's also been a bit tough, because, and maybe this is an interesting point that I actually just... Had the realization of for you which could be really interesting um but when you're dealing with like symbology there's a lot of ways to interpret a symbol right like different people are going to have a different idea about what that thing means like a certain hand sign might mean one thing in one culture something else yeah or another. and like how you choose to like talking about collages as well like what what we're inserting into this artwork like how Do we know it's going to be taken and interpreted in the right way? And maybe a unique facet that you have in specifically like Utah um, as a Mormon is like this really intense and I want to say like it feels like a really powerful energy that hadn't even really considered is that this is really like the center of the Mormon faith like there's not it's not like they're not mormons elsewhere or far abroad like you know i'm aware of missionaries and whatnot but yeah that is like the the central axis from which the faith sort of like radiates outwards which i think is must be so fascinating because you know being in a sort of general protestant christian tradition like that general like it it began in the Middle East and then it spread slowly upwards Armenia to Greece into the Roman Empire that went all over Europe that got disseminated over the colonies like it feels like a, a much weaker more estranged tradition somewhat severed from the culture which like created it where mm-hmm. mormonism is is a pretty new and then being mm-hmm. like very centralized and I think that's probably gonna have like like, all these sort of, like, a lot of important cultural heritage, like, packed into one intense place, which, like, that's probably fascinating as well, and it leads, I guess, maybe to your symbols being a, a little bit more clear for your audience, but probably a lot of other interesting things I'm not even aware of.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, you have really hit the nail on the head when you say Utah is intense, because it really is, and I can get more into that in a second. Um. Um... Oh, man, I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Because I look down, I have all these little pieces of artwork on my on my desk that I'm working on. And I just, like, looked at them and I was like, oh, I need to fix that. And then everything in my brain just went away. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is, like, a lot of my artwork, though, I... it Like I said, it, like, really draws on, like, more, like, occult vibes. Mm -hmm. um and so it's really funny to me that a good chunk of the people who resonate with it are like in the quote-unquote weird or paranormal community right um because who by the way have been like also the most chill people about like my religious beliefs because there's a whole sentiment generally these days you know uh on the internet of like we have moved past the need for religion and like all religions are oppressive and bad or whatever you know um and it's like okay maybe that's your experience but like mine's different but um it's cool because like I'm I'm used to seeing a lot of hostility towards religion online but when I when I talk to people you know like you who I consider is like part of like the you know just kind of weird like occult adjacent like you know Mm-hmm. Sort of paranormal vibes, esoteric. Let's use that word. Sure. Esoteric yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, here's an article about like Joseph Smith, you know, and his connection to the Kabbalah. And I was like, cool, thanks. You know, it's just like <laughs> people are just like more like, cool, you're Mormon, awesome. Like, I believe this, this, that. You know, okay, cool. Let's, I'll just talk about the weird stuff we believe in, right? Instead of like, oh, that's oppressive to you know, which I think you know are valid points of course anyway I'm rambling I got off topic Utah is intense because like there's a lot of Mormons here and um there's also a lot of people who are very not happy with Mormons here including you know people who used to be Mormon or just people who are you know think we're weird or crazy or sick of us um and like yeah there's like a lot of things about mormon culture that are not great like i'll be the first to you know to say that um like having religious ocd has really made me it has required me to really unravel like what things are cultural and what things are like do i genuinely believe um and like having to kind of pull that apart um, and so it is intense here because there's just, like, really strong feelings on both sides um, of, like, this is, like, the true church and, you know, everyone should be Mormon versus, like, your this church hurt me and no one should be Mormon, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's really honestly quite difficult to navigate at times because, like... Like it's hard to like. Uh, just cut that little part out. Just that little the thing. Where there I'm are just no cuts, Okay,
0: I don't know. Super relaxed. There's no like. We're just <laughs> we're just riffing off stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. I don't know what I'm saying. The fact is, it's intense here, mm. and it's complex, and like you have to accept that whatever you do whatever you choose for yourself is going to hurt someone yeah um and like that's been something i've really had to learn over the past like year or so um because like i am part of this mormon art collective right and like we the whole purpose is to create a space for people to explore their relationship with religion and mormonism through art um but like and and because of that i think that we've kind of like flown under not under the radar but like we've like kind of threaded the needle pretty effectively between like people who are like super pro mormon and people who are like anti mormon um because we're really just like a space to explore that whole experience right Um, but I have a feeling that the fact that I spend so much time and effort, you know, building that art collective is hurtful to people who have been hurt by the church. Um, but like, I truly feel that this is a really important thing for me to do and to create that space for people to explore their relationship to religion through art and creative works, um, whether that's creating it or consuming it. I truly feel that it's very important for, for like me to be a part of working in that space. But like in so doing, I know I'm hurting people that I care about and like, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, it is intense. It's intense to be here. Um, It's intense to be working in the space that I'm in, but like, I don't know. It just feels right. So yeah. here I am.
0: How do you see archive this collective sort of, continuing to unfold, right? And like right now it is a collective, right? But how mm-hmm. do you feel like there's that potential as this like comforting space sort of like ripples outwards and, and becomes almost more something like a scene?
1: Hmm. Um yeah, well it was It's it that's like a, a tricky thing we're kind of trying to figure out is like uh sorry, I got distracted by an airplane. I got I I am like ninety-nine percent sure I have ADHD, but I've not been diagnosed and I've not been medicated and so um <laughs> little things like that just completely wipe out my my whatever thoughts I had. Um Okay, let's see, the archive, how it's gonna grow, how it's gonna change. So yeah, sort of going I think from really like
0: collective would... to scene or mm-hmm. maybe even mm-hmm. further, just sort of like a, a subculture or something.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was really born out of this thing that started organically evolving, you know, beyond us, um, that we sort of wanted to kind of like, I don't want to say codify, because that's not, that's not quite right. But um, so basically, my co founder, um, Laz, um, you know, he was one who, who first kind of brought up the idea of like, hey, I'm seeing this and like there's something in the water. I'm seeing people engaging with Mormonism in art through art in a different way than it seems that people have in the past. You know, a lot more open, a lot more exploratory, and less like didactic, because like traditional Mormon art is all very like this is a representational painting of this story from like this here behind me, oh people on the podcast won't be able to see, but on my video camera, I've like an old time, you know, an old Mormon picture of Moses, like, yeah. Anyway, um, it's very didactic. I hope I'm using that word correctly. Um, I feel like you are. If I'm not, great. Okay. Sometimes I say a word and like, wait, do it. Does that it mean just that feels right, it,
0: like you know, you're just pulling a certain energy yeah. to it i feel like you stated it with enough intent like people okay. people are gonna be like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i agree too yeah if
1: the it purpose is. is to teach you something yeah, yeah, yeah but laz was seeing all these artists like exploring things more about their own experience and creating that into artwork um and so he's like i want to make a collective to kind of like build upon this and i was like cool i'll help um and that's kind of how it all got started um and like it's really been really cool to see this community slowly kind of forming, um, you know, whether it's people who have already been in already been interested in, in, you know, how Mormonism informs art or music or writing, um, or just like friends that are like, this is really interesting. And then like, they've started creating art or writing or music, you know, or games, you know, that start to, to address Mormon themes more directly. Um, and it's it's been really it's been really really cool to see that um so i would say that there's like kind of already a scene organically building up and we're just trying to to help build that and and like see what it can produce um and try to provide a community that's supportive um for that um and and you know i we definitely hope that it'll become something influential um that it'll become more well-known um and like that it'll provide value for people whether it's in their own faith evolving um and changing or like finding comfort um and some or some sort of connection you know to their roots um you know if they've if they've left the church if they're ex-mormon post-mormon however you know they want to they want to call themselves like I feel like in some ways the archive can be a safe place for people to be like, Hey, I remember I love that part about being Mormon, even though like these other things were a deal breaker for me. Like this is a connection to my, to my roots. And I think this ties into a, a broader kind of like cultural phenomenon in Mormonism at the moment where, um, the word Mormon I've been using it this whole time. is actually like no longer what the church officially like wants us to be called. Um, they're like, we are a Christian church and we need to emphasize that and how we talk about ourselves. And so like, we're really encouraged to use the full name, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, But then that kind of freed up the word Mormon to be taken by anyone who wants to claim it. Um, So, yeah. And so you're seeing people who are like, Hey, like I've left the institutional church, but like, I still have roots in this. I was raised in this and there's still parts of it that matter to me. Um, so the and so I'm a Mormon. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um. And and so it's this really cool. That's why I say Mormon art collective because we're not an art collective of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So, like right. we're bigger than that. We're part of the broader Mormon sphere. And I think that that like emphasis on like the name has really created something very interesting. Um. I can't remember why I was talking about this. So hopefully you do.
0: Uh. <laughs> Maybe I mean I was already thinking about like I, I, yeah, I don't know you're just talking about like the church and oh sorry like uh the sphere. I and,
1: say the just the, just say just call whatever you want. <laughs>
0: right, I, I mean I misspoke when I said the church. I was talking about oh. like archive and, and like the culture oh, around okay. it and like watching it grow and blossom. And you know it's something that I'm watching and I'm watching from afar. But I'm like you know if I was if I was there. Okay, listen, if you are there, dear listener, if you're in Utah. And the Archive has a show, this is a straight-up endorsement. Go check out the Archive's next show. I promise you will enjoy it. I enjoy looking at pictures and recaps of it. But, you know, I see stuff, and I'm like, I this is exactly, like, the type of thing that I would carve out time on my, I don't know, Saturday or Sunday, and, like, go peek along. Like, you guys go for, like, these hikes or whatever, and I'm like, dude, I want to be involved in that, but... And I say that as someone with like no connection to the Mormon Church and the fact that I didn't even know of its existence um, up until like a certain you know point growing up because like there's there's sort of almost no influence of it right like mm-hmm. um,
1: and... I'm so curious though like I mean maybe you're getting into this but I'm so curious to know kind of what your like why why you do feel this connection to the archive when it's not part of like your culture or religious tradition at all. Like I'm so curious about that. <sighs> That's
0: a good question. And I don't know if it is like this probably okay. I wanted to say probably some superficial things, but I don't know That's if right. they're superficial or if they're they're this pull that I myself have not yet explored to understand why it is pulling. like I have not yet come to. Mm. The, it's like the desert. like there is a reason yeah. it is pulling me. I do not know why and I maybe uh-huh. haven't gone into that yet, but there is clearly a need and a desire and like an interest. You're talking about like the uh, you know salt flats or whatever. Of all the sort of different geoforms in the desert, salt flats are way high up my list of like things that interest me. Is this yeah. pure circumstance? I don't know. When it comes to, like, Mm -hmm. religion, I was raised, like, nominally Protestant. But Mm -hmm. at some point in my, like, early teens, probably, we had already stopped going to church. Um, Mm -hmm. I was put into a Catholic school because that was, like, the cheapest
1: Mm -hmm. option
0: for schooling. Um, So I was already in in a space where I was... As a Catholic school, part like part of it was having mass regularly, having like these sort of Catholic traditions, you know, first Holy Communion and, and stuff like that, which had to take place. But as a Protestant or any of the non-Catholics, yeah. which are just lumped together, um, we weren't allowed to participate. So I was already like watching this from like one step removed, mm-hmm. and there was all of the sort of layered tradition you know catholicism is sort of notable for its like trappings of tradition which uh Mm -hmm. protestantism doesn't have and Mm -hmm. you know i was seeing like i'm you know i since that time i sort of like grew out of christianity and sort of had to grapple with my own idea of faith and like what i what i was like believing in and which you know tenets made sense to me and you know there was at first just like this the only thing that remained was like a connection to this like godlike figure i could feel a connection Mm to but -hmm. even that i started to like explore and be like you know none of my other beliefs in terms of like cosmology or or science whatever aligned with that and at some point Mm -hmm. i'm like i couldn't find a way to excuse this belief and so i sort of like moved into atheism but of the Mm -hmm. version where i'm like I'm an atheist who spends a lot of time thinking about God and, like, wishing they could probably be part of the religion. And, like, Mm -hmm. religion in terms of the cultural, traditional, like, practices, liturgy, litany, Mm -hmm. ritual, that is, like, something that just fascinates me. And, of course, like, archive, naturally, incorporates a lot of that type of stuff. And it's also um, there is I, I don't know, like, a certain maybe it is just an artistic movement. Like for example, Orthodoxy, especially like your uh Middle Eastern Orthodoxy, I forget the exact term from it. Like your Byzantine? Syrian church, right? Um Byzantine? No, so East um, of there, like in Syria, in I think Armenia probably, Palestine, Lebanon, like your churches there, or the Coptic church in Egypt, right? Okay. Um, there was some splits between some saints. Yeah. Before like your Eastern Orthodoxy, like your Russian Orthodoxy split off from uh-huh. that. But you know, like that imagery, Russian Orthodoxy as well, like has a, its yeah. own artistic like style. Like that also is very fascinating to me. But uh-huh.
1: um
0: there's probably a lot of that that's, like, pulling me in. And I think also, like, I sit. You actually it up pretty nicely early with, like, occult adjacent. Like, I'm not occult yeah. to the point where I'm, like, practicing, you know, tarot right. or, I you know, that's a, that's a wide sphere. Like, people go into ghosts and UFOs and, it, you know, it just really goes out there. But, yeah. you know, it's also something that I'm, like, I am not hostile to... And in fact, I am interested in, I don't know how much I can convince myself to like truly internalize that belief, but it is something that I'm like, having it happen around me and like being interested is very, like that is sort of the bring this like sparking energy. And since Archive is also, I don't even know how you managed to do this with like blending this occult vein into it, especially since you're like, you know, in utah it's super intense people are very like religious or very like to use in the sort of like a relative term orthodox in their faith right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how you manage to sort of um blend this in in a way that doesn't get like incredible public backlash i think it's fascinating in itself and maybe it's just this well let me tell you
1: why oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no
0: i was just gonna say like that's probably some of the pulls that i have to it
1: yeah, but, yeah yeah well that's really cool like i don't know thank you for sharing your experience like i've always really thought that was interesting you know that we have this dude in Am- in amsterdam who likes never been mormon but like like survived. i'm like okay <laughs> you know? that's a good um, one yeah no it, i mean i i do hope that some of the stuff we create could have could connect to more people than just, like, Mormons.
0: Mm-hmm. So...
1: Well, that's definitely
0: true of at least one. So... That's, okay. that's a start.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Um. So the thing is, the way we can blend occult stuff or, you know, esoteric stuff in is that, like, early Mormonism was heavily steeped in folk magic. Mm. Um, and this isn't something that... Like, this is becoming more and more well-known over the past, like, 10 years. But, like, no one used to really talk about this Um, and like basically like Joseph Smith the like original like founder slash prophet um, like he lived in upstate New York which had a lot of German immigrants which had like all the kind of German cunning folk traditions Mm. um, you know which was essentially like blending christianity into um you know more like witchcraft type things where like their spells of healing would be like saying a certain verse of scripture you know a certain number of times um and that sort of thing and so like joseph smith grew up in the you know this was the early 1800s he grew up with like these folk magic traditions um and like really kind of brought a lot of that into um you know the early church and and that's why you know there's like like i mentioned you know people in the esoteric community like send me articles and stuff about like oh here's something about like joseph smith and the kabbalah you know um and because that's like there are connections there and like you know he was also a freemason and so there's like a lot of things from freemasonry that show up in mormonism and so it connects like there's a very very clear link between mormonism and this larger cult slash esoteric tradition um that like in like ortho not i don't want to say orthodox mormonism but like just like normal people who go to church like they don't know about that necessarily and like any sort of like engagement with witchcraft is like kind of discouraged um and i don't know how i think that's mostly just like people in the you know 50s or whatever who who were trying to be respectable because like one thing to know about mormonism is that like we're always trying super hard to be palatable and accepted to other groups right because like it's really interesting there's an article i could send you about it um called like the most american religion um and it's i think it's in the atlantic and it's written by a mormon journalist and then McKay Coppins. But essentially the story is that, like, Mormons, you know, Mormonism started and pretty much everyone around them hated them. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, You know, whether that I don't I'm not going to go into because I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure at this point what even is historically accurate and what is like. People saying things online. Right. Um, so, but like you know, people people were not huge fans of Mormons. You know, um and eventually there was like an extermination order in the state of Missouri but they, for they Mormons. Have, like, that's
0: why, to travel the the trek to Yeah, Utah.
1: that's why we all went west. We literally left the United States. Utah used to not be part of the United States. We're like, okay, America hates us. We're done. Like, bye. Um, and so we left the United States um but then at a certain point we were like oh and then also also people were like mormons aren't white and you know like back then everyone well i'm also maybe now you know racism right like oh, right. um so, like irish and so, italians are not white that's yeah. sort of also applied like yeah it's just like a way of like a marker of like people Other you range. want to exclude so yeah. it's like So anyway, so we came to Utah, and we were doing our own thing for a while, but then at a certain point, we decided we wanted to be, like, respectable and accepted, and so then we're like, we are, like, the most American people you could ever meet, Yankee Doodle Dandy, like, we love Uncle Sam, Um, we're patriotic, we're conservative, we're, you know, like, so basically, Mormons just turned, like, super, super American to try to be kind of, like, accepted, Um, and that is kind of still the dominant cultural strain today. Um, and, like, that that's why, I don't know, Mormons kind of seem like they're stuck in the 50s sometimes, and like, mm. the way is... as, as some people think of us. I don't want to make
0: any sort of hugely broad claim, because I'm also not entirely caught up with yeah, it, of course, as, as an outsider, but it seems like maybe, especially, like, your sort of McCarthyist era... Had, mm-hmm. had that effect on a lot of like your subcultures in the U.S. or like different groups who
1: mm.
0: had to basically fit a very stock image of your red, mm-hmm. white, and blue conservative, patriotic American in order mm-hmm. to like not become the enemy and and sort of fall in line and lose maybe their their rough edges that would have fit outside that image and like shape yeah. them off in order, to, in order to conform.
1: Yeah, that's exactly that's that. I love that. That's really insightful. Like I yeah. That's pretty much what happened. And so like now kind of mainstream Mormons are still, you know, generally pretty conservative and like family oriented and patriotic and conservative, if I didn't already say that. Um I can't remember why I was talking about this. This has happened like four times during (laughs) the podcast. I apologize. I think we were talking Um, about uh, um. yeah, and so then that all just got like, no, we're not, you know, we don't have any folk magic history. We're just American, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was there. It happened. And like it's part of our architecture, you know, it's it's part of our like ceremonies. Like it if you if you know what you're looking for, it's there. Um and so that's why like the occult stuff that I put in my art mm-hmm. works because it's, it's, it's like it's tapping into
0: the, 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 the core, like so mm-hmm. the old core, yeah. You, you actually yeah. had this, uh, this zine a little while back, right? Like, spells for many blessings. Yeah. So, all right, run me through the process of how one creates a spell.
1: Here's the thing. Yes. I've never actually, like, done a spell. Oh. I have not ever, like, sat down and, like, made, like, a spell um
0: <laughs> that's that's a new project i feel
1: yeah yeah i mean i've okay so again for our listeners who aren't familiar i'm gonna tell i'm gonna describe the zine that i made um so this was a project i did that was an exploration of how like we had this folk magic background and then we kind of suppressed it but there's still like elements of our religion that are very much you know from that or tied to it or similar to it. Um, Like, for example, um, like, if you just go on Wikipedia and look up the definition of magic, it's, like, the act of, you know, speaking words or doing, like, physical actions in an attempt to, like, create an outcome um, through, like, kind of supernatural means, right? And you read that and you're, like, that's, like, what prayer is, you know? Or, like... You 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 sit down and you pray, like, okay, like, please help this thing to happen, whatever. Um, and then you have a belief that that will happen. Or that there's a, a big, like, bibliomancy kind of thing going on where people are like, you know, if you're having a hard time, like, read your scriptures and, like, what God wants to say to you will, like, you will, you know, be able to, it'll stick out to you, right? Or, like, people even sometimes say, like, flip to a random page and just, like, see what you read, you know, and that's straight up bibliomancy, um, which is awesome, in my opinion, that, like, people don't even know they're engaging in these, like, traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, But I sat down and I was like, okay, like, I'm going to take the common tropes from Mormon prayers because there's, like, certain phrases that people just say because they've heard other people say it. Um, I'm going to take the common tropes in Mormon prayers and turn them into spells, Um, and so I sat down and I just like pulled the ingredients and stuff from, again, just like different like symbolism, medicinal plants, um, you know, scriptural references, um, that sort of thing. Like the spell to be forgiven involves rending a piece of cloth and like doing some stuff with ashes, like in the old Testament, that's like how they would show that they were repentant. Um, and so it's, it's, it's kind of fun because it takes something people are familiar with which is the, the tropes from prayers, and it defamiliarizes it it um, by making them into spells, which then I would hope it helps people engage with it and say, oh, yeah, like maybe, you know, my religion kind of has similarities to, you know, these other beliefs and practices that people have, and maybe I can be more open to that and more understanding of that nice. um, or just explore my own tradition, you know, more. So that was kind of that project. That is,
0: like, super interesting to me, because I, there are all these things that I've come across, um, no, let me rephrase that, there are all these things that I've had, you grow up learning, like magic, and you get this idea of what magic is, and uh, that's often through TV shows that can reinforce that idea, right, Mm -hmm. books, and- sort of these trends grow, right? If you... I've, I'm sure anyone who knows me has heard me harp on my problems with high fantasy, which basically feels like it's retreading Tolkien over and yeah. over and over, right? So the idea of magic just starts riffing on, like, the same thing. And then they add, like, oh, I'm going to take this idea, but add a new little element to it. And... Mm-hmm. And so it's it sort of sitting in your mind as like this thing that is its own you know idea and it is unconnected to our historical or cultural sort of like traditions because of whatever reason or like it's just purely invented for entertainment or what have you Mm -hmm. uh and then you go dig into right like uh you mentioned the cunning folk right who write mm-hmm. the word cunning we we know it as people who are smart but it, it comes from yeah. from those folk in a village who literally had more knowledge of their mm-hmm. environment so they might know how to set a wound or which plants would be mm-hmm. whatever or if they were simply i want to say something like enlightened right like if they learned a spiritual lesson which they could then teach to like that was the sort of mm-hmm. genesis of that and uh, um stuff like chaos magic as well, where you're, you're doing certain actions. You know, people do this now where they're like, oh, I'm going to go on stage to do a presentation. I, you know, I, I always take three breaths, stretch my arms walk a little circle. Okay. And I'm like, you know, this is not so different from, but it feels like there's this disconnect where it's like, no, 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 like I'm just doing this little action. Like it's not magic because I, my idea of what magic is, is this like polished, disconnected, Thing, and this is not just for magic, mm-hmm. like I feel like there's all these things that I've come across where I'll just get this realization that it's like this is so normal and pedestrian, but like in the absolute best way, right? Like it yeah. is so relevant to our lives and the little things that we do, and it's like a very human experience. Mm-hmm. And I almost, you know, like I come to this realization, and then I want to communicate that to someone, and Ooh. It becomes so difficult because I realize that the only way I know how to talk about it is with these terms that mm-hmm. are so charged with pre-existing meaning, right? They're like mm-hmm. when I talk to them, how do I know that this person is going to understand what I say post-realization and not just mm-hmm. pre-realization, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and maybe on an individual level you know where your, your friends are at, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: on a wider level, if you're trying to make like a, a piece of art or whatever. <sighs> Yeah, that is something that I'm, yeah. like, really... So I, you know, spells for many blessings.
1: Touching uh-huh. on that,
0: of taking something that they're familiar with and then breaking it apart and hopefully showing people that there are other things in your life that can be broken in this way or, like, connected to... Yeah, I, I find that, like, immensely fascinating.
1: Yeah, same. Um, I assume you've seen Ula Ramchek's Tarot of the Real? Uh, I've
0: seen his man what is it called like his weekly weekly bi-weekly or something like that tarot deck thing i don't know if we're talking about the same topic
1: well here. so he has like this um, newsletter right
0: where he talks about tarot has it, a
1: sub stack but also like just on twitter he just like shout out your so Substack. what's that
0: shout out your sub stack
1: yeah our buddy will um He's great. You should follow him on Twitter. He's so good. Um I think I got uh, he travels him, so a lot for work like... and wherever he goes, he like just takes pictures of like things he sees that remind him of like different tarot cards. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and so it's really interesting to see like and then he just like posts them with like what card it is. Um and it's really interesting to see how like these archetypes and this symbology shows up in everyday life, and he writes about that a lot in his Substack as well. Um, like he's the way it's really cool to me to see how he's like engaging with real life through like a lens of tarot and all the stuff that he's kind of like seeing and finding, and um, you know, it, again, like you said, it kind of it kind of um, breaks down our everyday experience in a kind of like magic esoteric way
0: right like rediscovering a yeah. little magic in in mm-hmm. our lives right and yeah yeah that's something that's definitely being a movement that i'm i'm heading in that direction in the last i don't mm-hmm. want to say a year year and a half or whatever um and yeah i think i'm still exploring like ways to talk about that ways to understand it and then like ways to i don't know maybe try to try to communicate that or bring that out of other people who seem that they're heading in that same direction and trying to mm-hmm. find a way to do that. And yeah, that's just something i have probably thinking about quite a lot.
1: Cool. Well, I'm really excited to see what comes of that, you know, in your work. That's, yeah, that's... <sighs> really, I need to be doing
0: some of that work to actually see if it, like, <laughs> germinates. I, I always... And sort of caught out by realizing that I'm like very new to a topic or that there's more that I don't know and then I it feels maybe disingenuous to me to try and make some sort of like a uh, piece of work that's like mm-hmm. from a beginner's perspective that I'm like yeah okay you're dealing with this question but really like the answer is just one step ahead of you. However, I do realise like um VisaCon V, like at VisaCon V on Twitter. Um mm-hmm. if you know of him, pretty I would say intensely prolific uh, Twitter user. Um mm-hmm. talks like he's he releases really on like this YouTube channel and he also mentions you know like how valuable that it is to also just create art at like the different stages of the process, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mm -hmm. an expert is still going to find value in seeing a beginner's take on a topic because Mm -hmm. they're like oh like this is a beginner's viewpoint this is how we could better teach that beginner and also Mm -hmm. reflecting back upon like their own journey and also Mm -hmm. if, if you're not just a beginner but like one step beyond that intermediate or even before that you know the people behind you on that journey are gonna need you know if they just see an expert that's way yeah. too far out of their reach to, like properly understand mm-hmm. but if they have someone who's like one or two steps ahead it feels more attainable to like go on mm-hmm. so i need to keep that in mind when i make stuff but i think that i i count myself out of making a lot of stuff and i also become a bit of a not a perfectionist i would say but like if it doesn't if I don't look at it, and it's, like, totally channeling this emotion, yeah. I feel like the channel, to me, is, is closed maybe more often than not. Like, it will open mm-hmm. randomly, and it will open for an amount of time, and it's almost like like when I'm writing, for example, I'm not even looking at the keyboard. I'm looking, like, over my shoulder, into the sky, eyes sort of blurred, and yeah. I'll just write with my, with sort of, by touch typing, and just mm-hmm. glance at it every now and then, and it's, like, just a pure a pure channel into my subconscious and Mm -hmm. if that closes i find it very Mm -hmm. difficult to like boot that up and start the creative Mm -hmm. process
1: wow yeah that's tricky you know because like quote-unquote creative experts are like you have to work every day you just have to do it i'm like i okay but i can't like
0: nothing's gonna it's gonna come out like you know i'm supposed to be brewing tea and i've got water and I dip the teabag in for like one second you know like this is there's not this is not tea
1: yeah yeah it's just hot ish water. water yeah totally all
0: right <laughs> oh, yeah. well uh we're crossing into like uh an hour and 20 now I think we've covered some wow. pretty great topics uh I think so, too. before we go though uh I did put out that really short shit. warning question fielding but we do have a question from a j james stock
1: which sounds like a familiar name he's actually not related to me but we worked at the same company at one point Ah, (laughs) i see so yeah your singular
0: question from the audience is would you rather have 10 horses or one zebra
1: oh man um one zebra, because one, it'd be easier to take care of just one animal rather than ten. And two, how cool would it be to have a zebra?
0: <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. I, I mean, what I know from zebras is that, like, they are, there's a reason they're not tamed, right? Like, they are just oh. very stubborn, untamable. I think, it, okay, I'm gonna totally say this, like, with almost no certainty in what I'm saying, but I believe at some point, the theory for animal domestication was related to social structure within the animal. I do okay. not know this if this has been debunked, but it was something like um, because horses have a very strong social structure, they travel in herds, and they have strong bonds and uh a sort of leadership position humans Mm -hmm. could insert themselves into that herd in a way that had the horses trust them as a leader right like this helps in the field of domestication Mm -hmm. but i believe zebras do not have this it's more of like when they travel in very large like migratory uh packs Mm -hmm. it's it's more I think he just packs for an equine, whatever. Um, but, you know, these large herds, it's more just sort of free association, like they group together, and there's less structure. I do not know how well this actually holds up. Like, it probably could also just be like a the culture of people around it who are attempting to domesticate it, and how long uh-huh. they need at the process. You know, I don't know, but um, I would say probably if you've got 10 horses, you know, you can sell nine of them pretty easily, but like with one zebra when Absolutely. you, right? Like horses are, are expensive animals and,
1: uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and also, is it even legal to own a zebra in the United States? Like after watching Tiger King, I don't know. Do I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is it F- I can F- just go, I can just go look at a zebra, you know what I mean? Like I don't have to...
1: That's cool. <laughs> we <just> have deer. <laughs> well, we have wild horses, so that's cool. That
0: is true. Or they're probably like uh, feral horses, right?
1: Technically, yes, they are feral horses. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. they would have like, yeah. re-released. In, yeah, they don't know
1: they're like previously domesticated horses that are living in the wild. So technically, yeah. yeah, they're feral. There's no more wild horses. I don't think in the whole world. Um, really? They're all just feral.
0: Even though like... Central, what would be like your Central Asian steppe land? I'm not
1: of? sure. Yeah. I'm not sure about right. that. Yeah, yeah, that could make sense. That's also
0: wild, right? Like an entire <laughs> species completely domesticated, and then like anyone that exists, any animal that exists is is really just feral. As it hasn't even let go, was previously domesticated.
1: Mm-hmm. Their origin is no longer there. That is. That's it's crazy. It's intense. Yeah, it's like the, there's some bird that like re-evolved itself after it went extinct. So it's not yeah. technically the same. I heard this It's like in New Zealand, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was.
0: I don't even I remember? I remember the story. And I went and read that article, and I can't remember a single detail about it. Something about it, like lost. Some ability, then regained it.
1: Something like that. Who and knows? Really
0: <laughs> if I find the article, I'll, I'll include it as well. Okay. Well, Camilla, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to chat to you today.
1: Same here. Yeah.
0: And hopefully in the future we can uh, converse a little bit more.
1: hmm. Okay.
0: So, yeah. signing cool. out. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. we I mean, welcome
1: anytime.